Welcome to the St. Matt's 6 p.m. podcast, where you can listen to sermons from our evening service. Questions roll in. I've just got a question actually from last week that I'd love to ask you. Habakkuk is situated sort of towards the end of the Old Testament along with the Minor Prophets, but it also doesn't really seem to be written in sort of the typical style of like of a, what we think of when we think of a prophetic book. Um, so the question that we got last week was, is Habakkuk a, actually a prophetic book? Uh Yes, I believe Habakkuk's a prophetic book. Um, it'd be interesting to know what parts of the style. Uh, I, I think um, Habakkuk's conversation is more with God than with people, so that's very different. Uh, but I think he's still prophetic because he's bringing the word of God to God's people. Yep. Uh, and so that's, yeah, so yeah, there's some differences. Um, yeah, and I, if if I can get more detail on what they might be, I might be able to give a bit more answer. But um, certainly prophetic because he's bringing the word of God to God's people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, first question we've got uh, this week is just some uh, practical advice on that you might have on combating sort of envy of uh, the success of the wicked. Yep. Um, so the person that sent this question in. Um, sort of felt, and I feel too, um, that that is a bit of a common trap um, yeah. for Christians in our area. Totally. And I think the first thing to do is to acknowledge that it is a common trap. To say, yes, I will feel envy at those things. Um, and then, not to then let yourself go down that path, but to then, I think, start to, well, I guess you could ask yourself, what is it about that that I envy? And what will be the outcome if I do follow that envy into desire and then into, you know, if I to go to some of these illustrations, if I end up um, making my wealth on the back of injustice towards other people, yeah, I might be wealthy like those other wealthy people, but what's the outcome for me? And not only what's the outcome for me, but what's the outcome for those around me, for the society that I live in? Um, because I think that's a really good question too. It's not just all about me and what yeah. I have. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. You mentioned chapter 2, verse 4, um, and how that talked about uh, sort of his faithfulness or, or God's yeah. faithfulness. How do we know that that is referring to God's faithfulness rather than that of a righteous person? Great question. <laughs> I, I had about five minutes in my draft on this, and I took it out. <laughs> and I, I was thinking about doing a little riff to video on this question, so I'll see what, I, what comes out right now. Essentially, uh, the, the point that the person who's asking the question is picking up on is, it could be translated as the righteous will live by his faith, i.e. the faith of the righteous person, or, as I've preferred and think is right, his faithfulness referring to God's faithfulness. Uh, I think two things that strike me as the reason for God's faithfulness. One is, as I mentioned, the, I think the theme of faithfulness comes throughout this whole chapter. 
So it would seem almost strange that why do you put something about the person's faith but don't say anything else about it? Yeah. Whereas if it's all about God's faithfulness, that just seems to make more sense textually to me. The second one is, and this is where it gets a little bit nerdy and I won't go into detail right now, but there's a particular translation of the Hebrew scriptures, our Old Testament, called the Septuagint or the Seventy. And uh, uh, Google why it's called the Seventy, just, just for fun. I won't tell you the answer, but just do that. And the translation of that, so the, they translated the Hebrew into Greek and when they translated it, uh, the translation was very much his faithfulness. And so I suspect, I think, that they have a older version of the Hebrew that they were using to translate than any of the current versions we have and probably therefore a more accurate one. So that's why I tend to go with that. Sure. It's, it's also, I mean, the New Testament picks up Habakkuk 2.4 a couple of times and translates a little bit differently so it's a bit hard to pick up from that. But I think when they're picking up on the Septuagint, uh, so when they're basically using that for their quote of Habakkuk 2, that's where we get this idea of God's faithfulness. Yep. Yeah. I think one other little thing, because <laughs> I didn't get down this <laughs> but I find it so liberating actually. Yeah. Because if, if it is God's faithfulness, even my faith is just the small part of it. And I think Jesus himself reasserts that when he talks about faith as small as a mustard seed is all it takes to enter the kingdom of God. Why? Because God is faithful. And so it, it takes this small amount of faith. Um, so it's not actually, I don't survive by my own faith, I survive because he's faithful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So another question we got then on faithfulness was, is there some sort of measure of faithfulness that we need to have to attain God's righteousness? I'm not sure if I've understood the question, but perhaps I just answered it. So, is, is there some measure of faithfulness that we need to have to obtain God's righteousness? Yeah, yep. yeah. Um, yeah, so I think what I just said, that uh, it's about God being faithful, it's about us responding, it's the kernel, it's the, you know, uh, the smallest seed, the mustard seed, that sort of faith is all that's needed. Because it's not about my faith, it's about what my faith is in. And if my faith is in God and his faithfulness to, to me, which is shown in Jesus, in Jesus' death and resurrection, which you'll show again when Jesus returns, then I only need this much faith. Yeah, it's not, so there's not some measure. It's, man, if you put your faith in that, whatever that amount of faith is, that's all that's needed because God will do the rest. Yeah. Absolutely. I find that really liberating. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, let's see how we go for time. This might be our last question. Um, is there a danger in identifying others as wicked? Um, how do we balance desiring justice against the wicked versus seeing them as people who need Christ? Oh, that's a great question. And I think the sense of woe is actually really helpful here. So, um, yeah, like I tried to illustrate with the Parramatta Hills illustration, if if you feel woe to me, you're like, oh man, Ron, you, you really need a better team. You need a team that's going to win. Uh, it's not just about, oh, bad luck for you, off you go. And I think that's our approach to wickedness. We need to see wickedness for what it is. That one, it's, it's evil, it's against God, but that those who are wicked are caught up in something that's the outcome of which is horrific. 
And if we don't feel empathy towards them in that, and if we don't feel the need for them to know Christ and to know the hope that we have because of him and his faithfulness, then we will get caught into all sorts of dangerous attitudes towards the wicked, self, self-righteous sort of judgmental attitudes. Um, so yeah, the idea of woe is probably actually really helpful to see the wicked, to not want to go down that path, but also to not judge, jump in with judgmentalism or self-righteousness, but with empathy that says, oh, woe to you because, man, your path isn't leading to, to go back to the first question, it's not leading to you being rich and wealthy and powerful and you might get that now, but that's not the outcome. Woe to you, I feel for you, I feel that the outcome of where you're headed is not good and so therefore I want to help you with that and how do I help you with that? I bring Christ to you. Absolutely. Well, thanks, Ron. You're welcome. Um, So, tonight we've been challenged to consider how we expect God to respond uh, when we call out to him. Maybe you're like me and I think those that are close to me would tell you that I'm probably not uh, the most patient person in the world. Maybe the call to wait on God's faithfulness feels unsatisfying or frustrating to you. Ron has called us tonight to live with unveiled eyes, to wait on the Lord because he is faithful to his promises. Um, Please join me as we pray for this. Heavenly Father, we live in a broken world that causes us pain and loneliness and suffering. And in this world, it is so hard to sit and wait for you to act. Thank you that you've given us a spirit that goes with us in these moments. And I pray that your spirit will bring us peace and patience. Father, help us to live with unveiled eyes, fixed on the future you have set before us. In your son's name. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. St. Matt's West Bend Hills 6pm Congregation is a collection of people who want to be changed by Jesus, to have a deeper connection with God, deeper community with one another and deeper concern for our world. We'd love you to join us on a Sunday soon. For all the details, check out our website at stmatts.org.au and be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a sermon.